Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your house and worship you. To share what you have put in the Old Testament that is valuable for us to know. I pray that God we would we would hear this not as just bad history that these people lived out, but as an example of what we don't want to be as Christians. That we want to be people who take your words and put them into practice. And we pass it on to the next generation. So hopefully they will continue to do that as well. God, you have given me this time to preach this message, and I just ask that you would give me the words to say it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've all we've all heard uh, the phrase history repeats itself. Uh, I'm pretty heard it before, right? History repeats itself. Uh, it's a slogan that's been applied to wars. It's been applied to pandemics. Actually, uh, if you check back your history, similar things have happened, such as the pandemic we went through. It's, it refers to events such as like the stock market. And why does history repeat itself? Because people don't learn from history. I was talking to my brother who makes these really cool holding covers for me, and I said, this is a pattern I'm kind of thinking of. And he must have been talking to his wedding 10th grader who uh, came up with this. Uh, quote, and I thought this is pretty true. It says we learn from history that we don't learn from history. Because history repeats itself. And that's what we find, what we're going to find over the next several weeks going through the book of Judges, that they did not learn from history. And it goes over the same cycle over and over again. And it starts with what you see as sin. Sin is the very first thing that happens. After that's the judgment, then the repentance, then the rescue, and then they have peace in their life situation. It happens and it goes over and over because it simply history repeats itself. So we're going to be looking through this cycle today, uh, through this these five verses or so, looking back a little bit to see how they got here. So if you would follow along, we're going to be looking at step one, which is sin. Judges chapter 3, verse 7. It says, The Israelites the evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. At the bottom of that slide, you see a quote, I don't know where it came from, uh, it's probably proof just a little bit, but it says, children learn best what children live. You know, I think about my own kids, and I think about uh, some, of, some of your kids. Uh, you know, some of your kids like basketball. Why do you like basketball? Probably because you grew up playing basketball. Why, boys, would you be a cowboy fan? Why in the world would you be a cowboy fan? Because dad is a cowboy fan, right? That's how that works. Kids, why would you be interested in ranching? You know, that's a lot of work. Caleb, hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but he would have been out helping Richard Schaefer on the ranch, and he's out playing and drinking to get out and be a rancher. He's like, Dad, I don't want to be a rancher. <laughs> that's a lot of work. He did not grow up doing that. You know, children learn best what children live. You take a, a country boy and throw him in the city, he's going to struggle. And vice versa, you're, you're, you're living your whole life, and it's just natural to keep living this out. And that's what these Israelite people are doing. They're naturally living out what they saw. I'm going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, and I'm going to read for you what these Israelite people were supposed to do. And I want to look and see here in a second. It's a little bit of a recap from last week, but I felt like this is worth looking into. So Deuteronomy chapter 7 is what they are supposed to do. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and drives out before you many nations, the Hivites, or the, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, 
seven nations, larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them into your hands, you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Nobody's supposed to be left. You're not supposed to show in verse, this is the land I want you to have, people. Take it and then make it yours. What did they do instead? They lived among them. They, they, they started off well, they started attacking, and instead of wiping them out completely, they said, hey, let's live with the neighbors. Let's have block parties. Let's barbecue together. Let's hang out. And that's what they did. Then it says in verse chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verses 3 through 4, it says, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give them your daughter, your daughter to their sons, and take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away and follow me, from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will run against you, and you will quickly destroy you. So what did they do? They lived separate lives. They said, this is our camp, this is your camp. Boy, we got, at least we got this down right, at least partway. No. They said, hey, that girl's cute. Well, those among these people, they're really not so bad. In uh, verse 6, you find uh, uh, Judges chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, The Israelites lived among them. Verse 6 says, They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons. You know, what's really sad about that is uh, the Israelites lost both ways. They said, We're going to give you our daughters. Guess what those daughters did? They went the religion of the enemy. They said, We're going to take daughters to our home. Guess what those daughters did? They led the people of Israel astray. So they're losing on all the counts. They're, they're wrong, wrong, wrong. Any way you looked at it. And it started with just living among them, just allowing that temptation, that sympathy around them, doing nothing about it. They started partaking of it. Then it says in verse 5 This is what you are to do to them, to the idols. Break them down, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones. Cut down their actual poles and burn their idols in the fire. Pretty easy, right? This is not rocket science. It's pretty obvious what they're supposed to do. And what did they do instead? They lived like them. They started worshiping their gods. They started following in every detestable way that was going around them and saying, hey, this really isn't so bad. I like this. I was listening to a preacher. I'm not going to try to explain to you what he explained uh, to his congregation about why they would be so tempted to go that way. But if you want the, the link, he did a really good job, I'll send it to you. Uh, but these people said, you know what, we're, we're content. We'll just live among these people, and that will be okay. What's wrong with this picture? 100% disobedience. And one thing led to the next, that led to the next, so ultimately, they're going to face what comes next, the judgment. You know, back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, God has this conversation with Moses. And he tells Moses, you're not going into the promised land because of X, Y, Z. We've discussed that before. He even tells Moses, these people are going to break the covenant I made with them. God knew this was going to happen uh, before they even set foot in that. We have such a loving God that he let them go anyway. We were talking about in Sunday school, about the amazing God that we have, knowing that you were going to sin, knowing that people were going to put him on a cross, Knowing that people were going to reject him, he says, I'm going to go to the earth anyway, become a man, and die in place. And that was all planned before creation. It wasn't some contingency plan. It wasn't some halfway through, oh, no, I've got to fix this. Before creation, he knew this was all going to take place, and he did it anyway. So, they're walking around sin. You know, and what, what were they doing? The same thing that people today do. 
I see temptation. I know it's there, and I, I don't care. I'm going to just ignore it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to stay away from it. But I'm not going to actually get rid of it. I'm not going to do anything about it. And what happens with that? Before you know it, you're involved in it. Because you, know, you start to rationalize in your mind, it's really not that bad. Or i got a good reason to do this. And so you, you do it, and before you know it, you're frustrated. You're going through the same cycle of sin that these people went through. Now, I'm going to, all you teens, uh, what do you look at me? Even if you're a kid, I don't care how old you are. I'm going to say something you may not like, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, you know, if you've ever heard the term missionary dating, everybody heard that term missionary dating? Nope, you haven't. Okay. Well, the way missionary dating works is I know four. This hot bay or this big hunk does not know the Lord. I'm going to go out with them and hopefully lead them to the Lord. And then, you know what happens is before you know it, you date, you're in love, and you say, I want to marry this person because I love them. God doesn't want me to be happy, and you think I'm going to lead them to the Lord. And it typically, I mean, it's, it is, I've heard numerous stories, and it's almost like a 95% great chance that you are not going to lead that person to the Lord. That person's going to lead you away from the Lord. You're going to have conflict in your home because one of you loves the Lord, and one of you does not love the Lord. So kids, do not, please, Parents, do not let them go missionary dating. And I'm, here's where it's really a problem. Okay? Because that part makes sense, but I would say don't even go to a dance with somebody who's not saved. Don't go out to dinner with somebody who's not saved as a, as a date. Don't go to the movies. Really legalistic, Josh, I can't believe it. But you know what happens when you date? How many of you married people started out dating? Whether it was a good date or a bad date, you started out dating. And from dates come more dates. And from more dates come more love and more passion. And people get married after doing that. She said in the 10th grade, just hanging out with this girl. But from that comes something more. And if I practice it as a kid, dating a non-Christian, even if it's just a dance, I'm going to move out. I'm going to say, it's just dinner. It's just a dance. It's just whatever. And people are going to easily compromise and go down that road. So please, kids, as cute as she is, as hunky as he is, lead them to the Lord first, then date them, marry them, have 17 kids, I don't care, but please make sure you do not go that missionary game style, it does not work. So, step number one is sin. We all understand it, it makes perfect sense, we can clearly see what they did wrong. So, when you do something wrong, what happens? There's judgment. Uh, Judges chapter 3, verse 8. It says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishathim, king of Aram, Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. He says, Okay, you know, God is a God who's faithful. God says, I'm going to promise and do what I said I'm going to do. I promised you, if you would follow me, it was going to be good. Uh, you can look back and see that one of you is going to about a thousand. And it doesn't even say anybody died. One man out there with his sword was going to defeat a thousand people. Anybody want that kind of odds, that kind of battle? I do. Let me fight 2,000, 3,000. They had promised victory if they would obey. They had promised problems if they didn't obey. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 23 also. Uh, so, what is God supposed to do? You know, we would agree, I think, with God because. We think about people who do the crime, what do they deserve? 
to do the time. It makes perfect sense. You don't want somebody who just committed murder to just go walking on the street. You want to have them have the full extent of what the law is. Whether that's life in prison or 50 years or the death penalty, they did the crime, they asked to do the time. You want that for somebody who's stealing. Whatever that punishment is, you want that. You don't want it for yourself, but you want it for everybody else. Parents, what do we do with our kids? They do something wrong, we give them a punishment. It's normal. And that's what God said you can do, and that's what God's doing. I'm going to put all three kids as he has. He, he has to keep his word. I promise you good if you would obey. I promise you bad if you would disobey. And that's what our scripture reading is. Is in Galatians 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. A man is what he sows. As a nation, they are reaping exactly what they're putting in the ground. What else can God do except keep his word and give them the judgment that he promised? Step number three. This, I think that slide's that for the next. Uh, step number three says they cry out to the Lord. They're crying out to the Lord. I've had enough. Eight years is plenty. Uh, they took eight years. Eight years in order to do this. Before they were ruined, you swallowed their pride, knowing they're walking in sin and going to God and say, I've had enough. I'm finally ready to surrender. You know, you have stubborn kids. You keep eating on the punishment. You keep extending it out until finally, and it gets worse and worse. Next week, we're going to see 18 years. Because they're, they're going at this again. He says, here's a little bit more time. Uh, but anyway, my, my two thoughts. Number one, what is your problem? Why did you wait so long? Eight years? They were subject to this guy for eight years before they finally said, I'm done. I'll pray to surrender. God, please help me. Please forgive me. I want this to be made right. And it was pride, really, I think, that was keeping them from doing this. They were trying to be satisfied, trying to ignore the punishment. They wanted to continue with their sin. And there's going to be a lot of people sitting in hell for all eternity. And they're not even going to have that. They're not even going to have their pride. That's going to be taken from them the moment they stand before God. But every second up to that point, they're going to say, I wasn't really that bad. I wasn't as bad as somebody else. I didn't, I didn't kill anybody. Uh, there's a uh, famous guy, I can't think of what his name is, but he, he goes and talks on the street. And he, he tries to convince people that they are a sinner. Because everybody will say, I'm a good person. He says, well, have you ever lied? Yeah, well, what's that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen? What's that ever make you? A thief? Uh, have you ever had a lustful thought in your heart? What's that make you? An adulterer at heart. So really easily you can see that we all fit into this category. And these people were just like, I'm content with this. I'm okay with this. And they knew better. I, I believe they really should have known better. It took them eight years. Oh, please don't do that. Don't wait eight years. When you really screwed up, don't wait eight years before you go and talk to God and make it right. So that's my first thought. My second thought is, what an amazing God. What an amazing God, knowing all this was going to happen, sitting there watching this for eight years. These people are being picked on, they're, they're walking in their sin, and he's just waiting. He's not, he's not destroying them, he's just waiting for them to come to him. Amazing amount of love, amazing amount of patience that he has. He's not, he's not even scolding them, he's not ignoring them. 
Uh, if you look in chapter 10, verse 14, at some point, I say God gets a little honored with them. He says, why don't you guys talk to those idols that you're worshiping? Why don't you see if they'll help you out? But even in verse 16, it says, when they turn to the Lord, he says, it says that he could bear their misery no more, and he helped them. But he's, he's just that loving. He's just that patient. He's just that wanting that relationship with his people that he's willing. He just, he just loves you so much. He loves those people so much. I mean, we can look and say, I can't believe you would do that. But we should look at ourselves and say, I can't believe you put up with me So, we have sin. They, they chose, as a nation, we are going to follow all the idols that these, these people have. We're going to live with them, we're going to interact with them. We are going to be just like them. Well, because you've done the sin, you've got the time to pay. You've got the judgment that you should be expecting. And that's what they got. They didn't like it, so they're crying out to God, saying, okay, after eight years, I swear, I've had enough. So here we go with the rescue. Judges chapter 3, verse 9. And it says, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Ophineal, son of Kenaz, Caleb, son of his mother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan, king of Aaron, into the hand of Ophineal, who overpowered him. God used a judge. He used a man called a judge to go and rescue his people. Now we think about a judge as the one who's wearing a big black robe. And he's sitting behind with the gavel. He's saying innocent. He's saying guilty. Uh, he's keeping order with court. Well, that's not the case. You don't go as a judge to God. You didn't go to school. You didn't go to training. You weren't elected. You, you didn't have people asking to do it. You, you didn't take a poll. It was just the fact that God was talking to a video, and God was telling him, "I want you to go do this. Here's the problem. I want you to do this." So a video said, "Okay, I'll go." And he went in the power of the Lord to do this. So, uh, does anybody recognize the name of Othidiel? I don't know anybody named Othidiel. But you might recognize Othidiel's older brother Caleb. Probably a little bit more uh, history right there. Uh, Caleb was one of 12 spies who was sent to go to the promised land. He was one of two spies who said, we need to take the promised land. God will help us to do this. And then, because they, as a nation, said no, they had to walk around for 40 years. Joshua and Caleb were the ones who got to cross the Jordan into the promised land. And I think about Caleb, and I think about Ophidiel. I think about how did Ophidiel become Ophidiel? Well, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I would guess that his parents probably were the select few who were still walking with the Lord. They were the select few who were passing this on to the next generation. Not every single person lived like the majority, but there, so there were a few people being intermingled throughout them who said, I'm going to still follow the Lord. But I think, you know, parents taught their kids. But I want to, I want to be encouraged and, and encouraged that uh, Caleb took Ophidio under his wing and said, You know what, younger brother, you've got to stand for the Lord. You've got to walk with the Lord. I'm passing on the baton, our parents pass it on to us. I'm going to solidify this in your life too so that you can continue this torch for the Lord. That's what I want to picture as having happened. So I, I gotta just go back to what we talked about last week. You know, parents, you're the ones who are supposed to talk to your kids about the Lord. Grandparents, 
You be the ones who solidify, who back that up, who, who stand in the gap and reaffirm what your kids are hearing about before you. Uh, I, I told you the story about Leslie's grandparents. They were the ones who, learned, who got her to church. They were the ones who made sure she went to church. They were the ones who spoke truth into her life. And I was going to propose, I had to ask like four people. I had to ask dad, I had to ask mom, and I had to ask grandparents who I didn't even know. And let's just say, the only people who I really care about are grandparents because they are the spiritual leaders of this whole bunch. And so I had to go on the phone, ask them to marry her. Because they were the ones that were the spiritual mentors in her life. But I would look at every single one of you and say, you've got a brother or sister, probably, uh, or a nephew, or a grandkid, or a cousin, or somebody, and say, you know what, you don't have to be that person in authority who can be the person who's living that example. I have a twin brother. Hopefully, he'll be here July 9th, on his way to Missouri with my dad. And I've said this before, but he, I'm 23 minutes older than him. All I've got on him is science. And anyway, I looked up to him. I was bigger than him, and I looked up to my younger brother for 22 minutes, and I said, whatever he would do, I would do. We did some stupid things because he would kill <laughs> But I did it too. But he kept me from doing a lot of stupid things. One stupid thing was taking a, a pipe that another preacher's kid had, putting leaves from a tree and it exposed me. I was on board. But my brother was not. And so I said, I'm not going to do it. And so I, I, whatever he did, I did. So just realize that you don't have to be dad, you don't have to be mom or grandparents, you can be brother or sister living out that example that's going to make a difference in somebody else's life. And that's what my brother was to me. I know he'd be embarrassed if he listens to this, but that's really the truth. He kept me on the straight and narrow so I could walk on the straight and narrow by myself. And I had good Christian parents who were teaching me to walk on the straight and narrow too. My brother was a, a major part of that. And Ophidio, I want to believe that it can play that part in his life. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he went out to do it, when he went out to attack. I think God gave him all the wisdom. He gave him all the skill, he gave him all the wisdom he needed in order to go and attack uh, this place, that he, this, this people. And I think the map, if you have the map uh, that I had a couple weeks ago, the enemy was way up north. Othenio was way down south. I think it infiltrated all the way through to finally got to him, and he says, I'm not going to let this pass me by. I'm going to do something about it. And God used Othenio. He listened to God, and God blessed him to deliver his people. So, there was sin. Then there's got to be judgment. Then you've got to cry because you don't like the judgment. And then there's got to be the rescue, which God did. So ultimately, you can have what? The very last thing on the circle is peace. It says that the land had peace for 40 years until Othaniel, son of Canaan, died. I look at 40 years and I say, boy, it sure is nice to have peace for 40 years. But why couldn't it be 400 years? You know, the book of Judges last is estimated to be between 350 to 400 years of when it was written. Why couldn't it be all the way through that they had peace? Because, as it says in Judges chapter 2, verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. And as long as the judge lived, the Lord had compassion on them. Uh, but verse 19 says, but when the judge died, the people returned to their 
ways, they were even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. As long as Ophidio was alive, and they could look at him and say, okay, we're going to walk with the Lord. He died, and all of a sudden, his party's back on. They're back to intermingling and intermarrying and worshiping these false gods. As we're going to see the cycle, you see the cycle, you're going to get annoyed with the messages that come out of this book because it's over and over again. That the, the, the judges change, the enemies change, uh, different little details change, but it's pretty much the same story over and over. So we, I want I want to say, what does this ultimately have to do with me? You know, we're not asked to live in the promised land. We weren't given the command to go wipe out an enemy and take out their land. Uh, I hope that as you go through this, you're like, Josh, I'm 10 miles ahead of you. You can stop right now, and we can get out early. I hope that you're, you're following this, that it's not it's not some outer space, some them kind of thing, because this has something to do with us as well. Uh, first of all, is, uh, is that we have the opportunity to sin. We are just like them. We can follow the same cycle, the same routine, and a lot of times we just willingly do it. That sin is there. That temptation is there, and we ignore it. We don't stay away from that relationship. We don't stay away from that computer when nobody's home. We don't stay away from those friends because we like them. They're tempting. They're tempting to us, so we just we try to just ignore it. But we don't get rid of it. We just we just keep it around because we're not that dedicated. We're not that motivated. Well, that's exactly what they were. They weren't so dedicated to getting rid of the sin in their life that they didn't sort of stick around. And of course, what are they going to do? They're going to give into it. They're going to get lonely or frustrated or, or say, that's better than nothing. And sometimes that is not better than nothing. Sometimes only God is what matters. So we can fall into the same trap, the same cycle. Whether it's a major sin or whether it's something small, if we don't get rid of that sin, we are going to go through the same cycle. So because you sin, you go to the next step, which is judgment. That means you're going to face a punishment. Um, and that's that's not a, something you want to go through, but I, I do have to give you a little bit of encouragement in that. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Why was God punishing the nation of Israel? Was he just having a kissy fit? Because they're not, I'm not getting my way? No! These are the people he loves. He chose them out of all the nations of the world. Through their line was going to come the Messiah who's going to save the world. There were his chosen people to give the message out. He loved these people. And he says, because I love them and they're not listening, I have to discipline them so that they turn away from the sin. So you're going to sin. You're going to face a punishment for it if you're persisting in that sin. I, don't, I want to encourage you, don't be stubborn. Don't wait eight years. Don't wait eight months. Don't wait eight minutes. The moment you realize I did something wrong, go immediately to the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess it, if you admit to God what he just watched you do, he's willing to forgive you. That's, it's that simple. He's willing to forgive you. There might be consequences of it, but he, that's the way it works. You did something wrong, but he's willing to forgive you. Uh, our goal, ultimately, is the final stage of having peace with God. You have that right relationship. When you sin and you confess it, you have peace with God once more. Your, your, your relationship, you have that relationship with that fellowship is fixed. 
I don't, and, and try to keep in that peaceful cycle. But I want to ask him, where do you fit into the cycle? You know exactly where you fit into the cycle. You don't have to tell me, you don't have to tell your neighbor, but you know, I'm the person who's walking around the sand. I got it stashed away, and I like it. Or I'm not giving it up, or I'm determined right now I need to give it up. Okay, so are you in the cycle of sin? I'm getting away with it. No one knows. It's no big deal. It doesn't seem to be because it's been so long. Well, ultimately, you're going to face judgment. Are you at that point where you're like, I'm facing the consequences of the choices I made. I don't like it, but I'm going through it. Are you... Do you have that uh, point where you have peace with God? Because you've confessed it, and you're like, life is good right now. And I'll say right now, life is good. You know, uh, I've kicked it around, and I've been serious at different times about, and everybody knows how hard is Sunday morning. Right? I told you, I said, it's just me, no way, piece of cake. We, I mean, like, we fight on Sunday morning if we're going to fight. And I didn't fight at all today. And I don't know why, but I'm, just, I'm at this point in my life right now, I have peace. I don't have sin that I'm hiding. I don't have anything I need to confess. I'm not facing no punishment. And I'm telling you, I want to stay here. This is a good feeling. It is a comfortable feeling. And God didn't just want that for me. God wants that for you. But you've got to go to that point where you say, I'm tired of this. I'm not doing this anymore. And you can have the peace. Now, having, having confessed your sins and having peace, you know, is, is great. But ultimately, that's not what saves you. What saves you is having peace with, ultimately peace with God because you have uh, trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Being a good person doesn't save you. Trying to make it good, make the bad things good. Anything. The only thing that saves you is trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior is going to Him and admitting to Him, I am in that sin cycle. I am the sinner. I'm asking you to please forgive me to be my Savior and give me eternal life. And I want you to consider looking at your own life. Where are you at? Are you, are you saved? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Are you here because someone drunk you here? Are you here because you're, you're curious? Why? Um, it's great to have peace on earth, but ultimately we need to have peace with God, and only you can do that. Jesus came to the earth. He took your punishment. If you just trust Him as your Savior, I'm going to pray and ask God to forgive me and save me. I've already done that. I've done it a thousand times as a kid. It only takes once. But in case you're curious what you can say, you can think along, shout it from the rooftops. I don't care. Pray along with me. God knows what's in your heart to give you salvation. And then I'm going to close with prayer before we read all Dear God, I'm a sinner. God, I, I know all the, I know a ton of things that I've done wrong, and I know that you know everything. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Because I've sinned, God, I cannot go to heaven one day. And I don't have peace with you. I am your enemy, God, and I don't want to be your enemy anymore. I ask that you would please forgive me. I'm trusting you to be my Savior, not my good works, not my being a good person, not anything that I've done. I'm only trusting you, Jesus, as my way to heaven. Thank you for being my Savior and for giving me eternal life. Please help me to live for you from now on and have that peace with you while I'm in that room. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name, amen. And God, I think about the rest of us. God, you know how comfortable we are to wander. You know how comfortable we are to, to seek out your sin, because it is sin. God, I pray that you keep us out of the sin cycle, and as soon as we find ourselves in it, God, please help us to get out of it. God, if there's sin in this church, if there's people who are 
hiding it in their mind, the closet, and made it part of their life. God, please just help them to get rid of it. Give them the extra kick in the side, the, the extra courage, the extra gumption to finally say, I'm done. God, if, we're, if somebody's in that cycle where they got caught from you, from somebody else, they're facing the punishment for that, or the judgment that created, uh, you take pity me on I just pray that they can get out of that quickly, God, and they can experience your forgiveness. They could experience your peace that you want them to have. God, I just I just don't want us to be a church that just goes through the motions, that just hears the message. I want us to be a church of action that gets out there and changes what our life needs to be changed. And ultimately, God, if somebody's not walking with you and doesn't know he's your savior, I pray you would not let them forget that, that today we're going to give salvation in your life. I pray this in Jesus.